Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. We're excited to jump into this Advent season, and for some of you, this may be a newer thing to you, and some of you, it may be something you've always done and a rhythm you've always celebrated. Perhaps if you grew up more in a liturgical style church, you would understand those rhythms and different seasons and things like that. But actually, if you look back on the celebration of Advent, it's a Latin word that simply means coming. And it's to awaken our hearts, to prepare, to make room in our hearts for the coming of Christ and remind ourselves of the promises of God and remind us how God was faithful then and how God is faithful now. And it's to help us to be connected to and to remember the fact that God keeps his promises. And that's really the heart behind this whole concept, this whole idea of Advent. And it's been celebrated in churches uh, since around 380 AD. And so it's not a new concept. And I'll tell you this about Advent. There's no necessarily right one way to do this. And so we're choosing to do this through uh, preparing our hearts by equipping our church family with this devotional. So hopefully you've been able to get one of those copies of that little book. And uh, what we want to do with that is we want to equip and empower our church family to actually lead people through the rhythm of reminding their hearts and and their, their families of God's promises so that your hearts can be stirred. We say things like this all the time, right? Like, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we say things like, you know, keep Christ in Christmas. And all these things that are true and all these things that are good things to say, but like, what steps are we actively taking to do that? And so our heart and our intent is to help equip you to actually take a step to keep Christ as the center, to keep Christ as the focus, because there's a lot of distractions, as we all know, that can get in our way. So we hope that this is just a fun way for your family to do that this year. And who knows? uh, It's a nice book. It's a hardback book. So hopefully it'll last and maybe something that you actually can make a a new family tradition on if you're looking for something to do that as well. So either way, uh, just a great thing for us to do. And so what we want to do today is we want to remind ourselves of the promises of God. And so we're going to do that in a few ways through the scripture today, because we follow a God who's made promises to his people and he calls us to follow him by faith because he's going to continue to fill his promises. Amen. He's going to continually fulfill those promises. In Genesis 3 and 15, we see where the Messiah God promised that he would, uh, that, that God promised the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. So as early as Genesis, there was a promise that there would be someone to come that was actually going to save people, save humanity, that was going to fix this, this wrong that had been done through the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. God didn't just leave humanity hanging. He didn't say, too bad, so sad, you guys are out. You know, you messed up. And so we thank God for his grace, but we also thank God for his promise in the middle of that grace, saying that, hey, there's something 
coming and I want you to anticipate that because there's coming one who is actually going to crush the head of the serpent. And he's, the serpent is going to strike the heel, he's gonna bruise the heel, but it's not going to be as powerful as that heel crushing the head of that serpent. And we see Jesus being the fulfillment of that promise all the way back to the very first two people, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then in 2 Samuel 7 and 12, we see where uh, God uses Samuel as his voice, as this prophet, prophetic voice to be able to speak that this coming king is gonna come through the lineage of King David and that he's gonna set up and establish his forever kingdom. And then in Isaiah 9 and 6, the Messiah that God promises, the one who's coming to rule with wisdom, with justice, with righteousness, he's coming to establish his kingdom. And so all these promises and many, many more, this is just a small sampling of the promises that have been given to this, the, the people of God to trust that, hey, there's a promised one coming and he's going to have these attributes. These are the things that he's going to do. And even down to some specifics where he's going to be born, um, how he's going to be born. Like he's going to be born to a virgin and all these different things that were promised long ago. And we see how God has fulfilled those promises. Because church, when we begin to doubt which all of us struggle with that. All of us come to those different crossroads in our lives. We need to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is actually in Joshua where the mantle has been passed to Joshua from Moses and he's leading the people of Israel into the promised land. And they come to the Jordan River. And this is a very similar situation to the Red Sea uh, part of the story of the Exodus where Moses you know, is able to see God part the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. But now they're faced with this new obstacle. How are we gonna get all of these people across this river? And so Joshua instructs the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and actually go stand in the Jordan River. And when the priests walk into the river, what happens is that similarly to the Red Sea, they walk across on dry ground and the water moves out of their way. But this is a cool thing that Joshua instructs them to do. While the water is still away, he says, every one of the leaders of a different tribe there in Israel, I want the leaders to go down and get a stone out from that ground that was once covered by water. And I want them to take that stone and I want them to place it on the land. And so that way when the water's there, you're gonna see next to the water, this pile of stones that'll be arranged as a memorial. And Joshua tells the people, whenever your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren ask you, hey, what's the deal with these stones here? You can tell them this story about how God provided and how God was faithful to us. And I think that when we come to those crossroads of doubt and when we come to those places where we're wondering, where is God in the middle of all of this? You may be there right now. You may be facing some kind of challenge or some sort of situation where you're like, I don't know where God is in the middle of all this because I feel lost, I feel lonely, I feel you know, just kind of hit from every side. And you're like, is God there in the middle of that? That's the purpose of that memorial is that you remind yourself of what God has done in the past. So when you come to those places, you can go, wait a minute, I may feel like I'm all alone, but I remember when God did this. 
And it's so much easier for us to look in the rearview mirror and see how God was faithful once we have the vantage point of being on the other side of whatever challenge that we may be facing. What's hard is trusting the faithfulness of God in the middle of the challenge. That's the difficult part because we're in the middle of all of it and it seems like everything's so loud that we began to feel like we're isolated, we're alone, like where is God in the middle of all of this? But it's, it's great to be able to look at those stones and, and go, yeah, I remember when God did that or let me tell you a story of the faithfulness of God. But man, when you're in the middle of all of it, it sure is hard sometimes to look and actually see that God's faithful, but that's the purpose of the stones. That's the purpose of why we're reading some of these scriptures today. That's the purpose of Advent, is to stir our hearts and remind ourselves that the one who promised is faithful, and we need to remind ourselves of his faithfulness. Let's go over to Psalm 89, and we're gonna read one of David's harder psalms. This is a psalm of lament, and so David is actually wondering, like, where is God? Where is God in the middle of all of this? Because there's been this promise, right? Samuel prophesied. He gave this promise that there's coming one through his lineage, that this promised one is going to set up his kingdom forever. It's going to be part of that history, part of that lineage. And David's like, yeah, I don't know. With the way things are going right now, I I don't know. And he's struggling And I love that this is a part of scripture for us to be able to read because it's a place where David's being very vulnerable and he's confessing that, God, where are you in the middle of all this? And so maybe maybe we can kind of relate with where he's at because he was promised something and he's having a hard time seeing that God is actually gonna do that. So let's, let's read this in Psalm 89. And verse 38, he says, but now you've cast off and you've rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes and you've made all of his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and you've not made him stand in battle. You've made his splendor to cease. You cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth and you've covered him with shame, Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is for what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man, uh, what man can live and never see death? What can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, Selah? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. These circumstances look bad when it comes to God's promise. The kingdom was destroyed. And here we see man when Jesus actually appears on the scene, you know, like he's living in the backwaters of Galilee, you know, like in a redneck community, right? And he's he's a carpenter, not a king. God's promise was to David that he'd have a son to sit on the throne forever. But man, this doesn't seem like the right scenario for that to happen. And it seems like this is not the way that we thought this would have happened. This is why everybody struggled, man. 
You remember as you read the story of Christ coming as this baby, even the circumstances around his birth, it wasn't the way they thought. And isn't it interesting that the power and the sovereignty of God, the bigness of God, the might of God, he could have chosen to come any way he wanted. So that means that if he wanted to come with, with, with trumpets and with all these angels announcing his arrival to all of the elite of society, to all the influencers of the day, he could have made all of that happen if that's what he wanted to choose to do because he's that big and he's that powerful. But he chose to come the way he came. Instead of appearing to dignitaries, he had angels appear to shepherds. Instead of coming and announcing to the powerful and all of those that are in the government and in authority and all the influence of their day, instead appears to some wise men by letting them follow a star. He chose the way that he chose to come and it confused people because it didn't seem like the right situation. I mean, this is the king after all. This is the redeemer. This is the Messiah after all. I mean, shouldn't this be like a really big deal? And, and don't we do the same thing with God? Where when we have a situation in our lives that we think that God can resolve, we're like, God, if you would just do this this way, you know. I mean, obviously, I'm going for this promotion. And if I could just get this promotion, or if I could just get this job, or if this situation would just work out this way, or if I could just meet this person, all these things would just kind of line up and it would work out. I mean, can't you see, God, I'm setting the table for you to, to you know, help me out here. And sometimes we feel like that, like we're trying to instruct God on how to help us out because God needs our help, right? <laughs> and that's how we view it. Or, or we view things like I've done enough good and I've put enough coin in the bank to where I feel all of the sudden like God owes me something. And I've somehow put God in my debt. And God, look, look at all the good that I've done for you. And now you, you should do this for me. And God doesn't always operate those ways, does he? And it can be discouraging at times because we're like, God, you missed the perfect opportunity. And God didn't. I remember when I was at my lowest point that I can remember in my adulthood, sometime around 2007, 2008, somewhere in that range, uh, we had moved to Texas to start a church, and I was previously a youth pastor at a church in Oklahoma, and we moved to Texas, and we were all excited, and our excitement and passion and vision to be able to start a church in this area in Texas uh, had caught the hearts of a couple of other people who joined in our efforts one of those people actually lived with us and moved in with us and left their home in Oklahoma and traveled with us. And here we are with just a big dream and we want to see God do all of these great things. And then we started reaching out to some homeless people in the community and they started coming to our church and we started feeling like, oh, this thing's just going to break loose and this is happening. And then um, my wife gives birth in 2007 to our twin girls and there were so many complications around that. The first year of both of their lives was just all kinds of sicknesses and issues and scary moments. 
And in the middle of all that, our son was still in diapers because our three kids are only 17 months apart in age. We have the twin girls and then our son who was 17 months old when the girls were born. And so we've got three kids in diapers. We've got a church plant. We've got somebody living with us. We've got homeless people everywhere. And we've just got a big heart. And can I tell you, in the middle of all of that, we decided to buy a house in Texas that needed severe remodel. And we saw remodeling done on TV, so, I mean, they do it in half an hour, so surely we could do it. It might take us two hours, you know, to do it. And so we thought we would just take this on it. And what I learned is that, A, I know nothing about remodeling, um, and B, uh, money runs out fast when you take on a remodeling project. And I way undershot that, and so now we're living in a home that's not properly remodeled, that's only partially actually even finished. And the parts that are finished aren't that great. And so we've got all sorts of issues. I had gutted a bathroom and didn't have the money to redo the bathroom. And um, so we had all sorts of challenges. And I was just in over my head. I felt like I just made so many bad decisions and felt like nothing was working out. And I felt like it was always someone else's fault. The church was struggling because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but homeless people aren't the best givers to the church um, when it comes to financial resources. Um, and so we didn't have a strong giving base to our church. We had people there, but we didn't have a strong giving base. And, and so I wasn't able to take a salary or anything like that. And so I started my own website and graphic design business. And that seemed to go well for a season until... I started doing work for clients and they stopped paying me for the work that I was doing. And so I was angry at everybody. I was angry at my customers. I was angry at some people in the church who had promised to help us out and didn't. I was angry at the fact that we had the issues around our, our girls um, and how sick they were and all the challenges there. I was angry at God. I was just mad at everybody and felt like, why is all this happening to me? And felt like a big victim. And I remember going through all of that and there was many times that I did, we did have one bathroom upstairs in that house that was kind of finished. And it was a shower uh, and I would just let the water run until the hot water ran out and I would sit on the floor of the shower and just let the water run over me and I would just sob, I mean like ugly cry. I mean, you know the type of crying where you're having a hard time catching your breath because you're crying so hard? That's where I was, and I would do that many times because, and I would get mad and angry and cry, and I would say, God, we moved here for you. Almost like he owed me something, you know. God, look at what all we left for you. Like, we left the security of a great church in Oklahoma where I was a youth pastor and things were going pretty well and my wife worked at a, at a doctor's office there and she was doing pretty well and you know we had a lot of people around us who loved us and cared about us and now we moved out into this town in Texas where we don't really know anybody. We had no real connections there with anybody and we feel alone, we feel isolated, no one's here to help us and we're struggling and we've got these three babies and diapers are expensive and food is expensive and I got behind on all kinds of bills and I know what those horrible phone calls sound like when you get those numbers and you just, I don't even want to answer this so I'm just going to ignore it right now and here I was, I was 25, 26 years old and feeling like I had just completely ruined everything for my family and I'm blaming God, I'm blaming 
blaming people, I'm blaming situations, I'm blaming the house, I'm blaming all, everything I could blame. And when I would sit in that shower till the hot water ran out, then I would abruptly end the shower. Um, and crying, I remember, I couldn't even pray, man. Like, have you ever been there before where you're just like, you're just so worn out, like I couldn't even pray, but I could utter these words. And this is sometimes the only prayer I could pray. I would just say, God, I still trust you. That's, and I don't even know if I believed that at the moment, but I felt like I needed to hear that, you know? He's worthy of my trust, whether I feel like trusting him or not. And I'm like, God, I still trust you in those low moments, in those moments of anger, in those moments of disappointment and frustration. God, I still trust you. And it wasn't like some overnight miracle. I don't have one of those cool stories. I do have a cool story, how God completely did some awesome things through all that, but that's for another time. But it, it wasn't one of those overnight things. It was more a progressive thing that God just kind of led us out of. And it was a difficult time and difficult season. And I feel like as I read Psalm 89, I feel like that's kind of where David's at, right? Like, like uh, writing all these things, like the crown is in the dust. Like, how, how sad of a statement is that? He's saying this, this promised one, this covenant, it's broken. The crown's in the dust. It's, it's over, right? Like all these things, you, uh, even all of his enemies, they mock him. It's, it's not going good. But then at the end of it, what does he say in verse 52? He says, blessed be the Lord forever. I feel like he's saying, God, I trust you. God, I know you're good because it doesn't always work out the way that we want it to work out. We may have a big dream. We may have something we're aspiring to see, something we're excited about, and we embark on it, man, and it doesn't always work out. But just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean all of a sudden God stopped being good. And it doesn't mean that God stopped being faithful. It doesn't even mean that God may not have moved or led or called you into whatever you may be doing. It may just mean there's something going on right now that's going to develop and deepen a trust in God for his glory and for his purpose that you don't see right now. You just don't see it. And in the middle of all this, think about the way Jesus came to this earth. It's kind of the same exact type of thing, man. It wasn't the way everybody thought. It wasn't the way that everyone had thought it was gonna go because if Jesus wanted to come, in military might and overthrow the Roman government. He could have done that just like that. Boom, Jesus is here. And all of a sudden, Roman government overthrown. Everyone's life instantly easier. Jesus could have done that, right? He totally could have, but he, did, he chose not to come that way. Instead, he came in a way where, man, they're, they're, they're fleeing to Egypt. That doesn't make sense. This is supposed to be this king. He's establishing a kingdom. And he's fleeing to Egypt with his family. And then when he, he comes, he, he's, he's, he's gathering these people that seem like the least likely team you would want to build from the least likely of places. And it doesn't make sense to us because it's not the way we would want. That's why God's ways are so much higher than our ways. But we can see it after we go through it. We can look back in the rearview mirror and go, oh, I see where you were, God. And he's like, I was there the whole time. Because he truly is there the whole time and he's worthy of our trust. That's why people said, man, Joseph, the carpenter's son? Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? <laughs> but we know that Jesus 
perfectly fulfills the promises of God as Messiah. In 2 Samuel 7 and 14, there's promise that there would be a descendant of David. In Micah 5 and 2, there's a promise that he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. In Isaiah 7 and 14, he's promised to be that, that one that would come that would be born of a virgin. These promises were all given hundreds of years in between. Some of them thousands of years in between. But it was given to get people to trust and to have hope that the God who led them out of Egypt, the God who promised in the garden, the God who promised to Abraham, the God who promised throughout the ages, he's fulfilling his word. Amen, church? And here's our big idea for today. Even when all hope seems lost, Jesus is the Messiah who proves God fulfills his promises. So when we think about Jesus and we're preparing and making room in our hearts and we're thinking about all of those things, man, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ, the anointed one who fulfills this promise and shows and proves that God fulfills his promise. And the same God who promised a savior in the garden is the same God today, right church? And he gives us a promise of his coming. And he gives us a promise of all the pain and suffering in this world coming to an end. Let's go over to Romans chapter eight. I, I want you to see this. This is probably one of my favorite portions of scripture in all the Bible is Romans chapter eight. And I love, there's so much in here. And we'll pull as much out of this as, as we need to today. But man, we could hang out here for quite a while. Romans eight and verse 18. The apostle Paul writes this. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's, being, that, that's to be revealed to us. Man, listen to that. I want you to just camp out on that thought. Man, I, I don't know where you're at today, church. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what, what's looking you in the eye that's trying to intimidate you, that's trying to get you to doubt the goodness of God. But I just want you to think about this, this scripture here. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. He says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So there's something here that's yet to happen. This is, this is language that would tend to make us think there's something yet coming. There's something that not only humanity is waiting for, but there's something even creation. Like if you gave creation a, a, a personality, right? This is hyperbole here. But if you gave creation a personality, creation is like looking forward and longing forward to something as if creation could be longing. This, this idea of creation is also longing alongside of us because there's something that hasn't quite yet happened. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now, pause right there for a second. So this is saying that, that it wasn't creation's choice to experience all of the sufferings that came along with sin. It wasn't creation as a whole that sinned. No, it was man in the Garden of Eden who sinned. And so the result of that sin actually subjected all of the things that were under the authority of man to the same type of outcomes. 
And so now the death that man experiences and the suffering that man experiences as a result of sin in the garden, it trickles down to the goodness of creation that actually man had authority over. And so now it's just been subjected, not willingly. It wasn't like you know anything in creation did anything wrong, but it's being subjected to it because of the way that man had authority in the garden. He said, in hope that creation itself is going to be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so, so man has been redeemed by what God has done through Jesus Christ and creation wants to also now be redeemed. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose." For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here in this text, oh man, there's just so much, right? So he says like, man, we're waiting like in this season, this is where we're at. He's trying to help people make sense of the age old question that we've been asking for so long. Like if God is so good, then like why do bad things happen, right? Like that's the question everybody always wants to know the answer to. Because in our minds, we think that if God is good and if Jesus truly has redeemed and saved us, then everything should just be better right now. And he's saying, here's why, okay? Here's why it doesn't work that way. It's like childbirth, right? And not that I've experienced that, right? Personally, firsthand. I've witnessed it, but I haven't experienced it firsthand. But he said, it's like childbirth. He says, you know, it's like the pains of childbirth. There's something inside of me and I know it's real and I know it's there. I felt it. I've sensed it. I know that it's there. And it's like right in the middle of that opportunity for that child to be born. It's like I have the child, but I don't have the child yet. But I'm going to have the child. That person who's there in the middle of that childbirth, they know that there's something coming and they're anticipating it. But man, it's painful to get it there. And he said, this is how the world is right now. This is how we are right now. It's kind of like this idea of home ownership. Like we understand home ownership because when you go to the bank and you sign the mountain of paperwork, right? And now they've got it like digitized where you just sign it one time and it just bloop, 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 bloop everywhere. But back in the day, when you go to buy a house, you get like kadoom. Here's your one zillion forms you have to sign, right? And you sign all these forms. And after you sign that stuff, what do they say? Congratulations, you're the homeowner. But not really. <laughs> because you own the home legally. It's your house, but you're making payments. And as you're making payments, you are owning the home as well. 
in hopes that one day you will own the home. But you never stopped for a minute in any of that time period. You never stopped owning the home and being the owner. It's kind of the same idea that Paul's trying to illustrate. It's like he's saying, we were saved by this grace, so we are justified. And that word justified in scripture is a legal standing. So legally, in the eyes of God, I am made new. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? Amen? And so we know we're new in Christ. And because of that, I am positionally justified. But I'm also working out my salvation with fear and trembling as I'm growing in this process of sanctification. And so I am saved and I am walking through this salvation experience. And then one day I will ultimately be saved. But I never stopped being saved. I never stopped belonging to him at any point in that journey. And he's saying it's like childbirth. I know this is in me. But it's all so painful and there's, there's this part in between, but I know it's coming and, and I know it's going to be here. And I know that one day, man, we're, we're groaning, we're longing for this. Creation knows that, that something has changed, something has shifted. Humanity, who has trusted in Christ, we know something has changed, something has happened. And I've experienced that change here, but I haven't fully experienced that change. Because I'm growing in that and I'm understanding that. And he's saying, this is what it's like. He said, so so in the middle of all of this painful experience, those sufferings, he said, it's going to be worth it. Isn't that what they tell the expectant mother? It's going to be painful, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. Isn't that what Paul is telling the church in Rome? I know it's painful, church but it's going to be worth it. So don't even try to think about the pain. Instead, think about, man, in light of the glory that's going to be revealed in us, these sufferings, you're going to go, what, what suffering? It didn't even matter. And the Apostle Paul, as well as Peter, later write to the church to encourage them because there was a lot of suffering happening in the first century church. He said, count it all joy. Because as you suffer, count your sufferings as suffering with Christ because he suffered on your behalf. So consider this as you're suffering with Christ because to live with him, I, 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 I also suffer with him. And so I count that as a joy of my, my, my suffering to be able to point to Jesus through it all and to trust and know that even though it's painful that this life is not the end goal here on this earth, that I'm going to eventually be forever with him and be just completely saved and, and, and healed and no more pain, no more, no more suffering, no more, no more tears, no more of all of this drama and all this stuff that's happening. But right now I'm in, I'm in the middle. So he said, the Holy Spirit's going to help you through this. This isn't something you have to go through on your own. He said, the Spirit's there. He said, and the Spirit's like interceding for you. And the Spirit's like groaning for you. And those groanings, like they can't even be like uttered. Like you don't even know what it is and it wouldn't even make sense to you. But there's something happening that the Spirit's doing. And I can't fully explain it. I don't fully understand it. But I know God is doing something in the Spirit that I can't see. And even if it were explained to me, I still wouldn't get it. So in the middle of all of that, it's my job and it's your job to trust that God is faithful, amen? And that he fulfills his promises. And that he's going to, he he said it right here. He said, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He said, so you could be the firstborn among many brethren. And if he predestined you, he called you. And if he called you, he justified you. And if he justified you, he's going to also bring you to glory. 
And it's going to be for his purpose, his timing. And so we can rest. Amen? We can rest and trust that God is good in the middle of all of it. So there is hope in Jesus as the promised one, as the anointed one, as the Christ, as the the Savior, the Redeemer. And he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the promise. And Jesus has promised his return. He has promised us the Holy Spirit as comforter and helper so that we can live on mission for the kingdom of God. And so this kingdom that he's called us to, man, it's not something built with human hands. This is something that he's doing, and it's greater than you or me, but he's inviting us to be a part. Let's read one more text before we go this morning. Over in Matthew 6. I love this, the words of Jesus. Verse 25. This is Jesus responding to people following him, going, like, I'm hungry. Um, I'm, I want to sleep, you know, in a bed, <laughs> my clothes, like, what are we going to do about all this stuff? Like we have like basic needs, Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to all of those anxieties and fears. Yes. Verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man, what a good word. Jesus says, be about kingdom priority. Because this earth, I mean, this thing, this life, this experience, yeah, we know there's challenges, but there's something beyond this. And you need to live like it's true. You need to live like the one who promised is faithful. You need to live with that kingdom priority, understanding that if he's been so faithful through the ages, those memorial stones that Joshua had the leaders pull out of the Jordan River, man, they're still telling a story. And each one of us have stones that we've pulled out of our proverbial Jordan River that are telling a story. We just need to remind ourselves of those stories because we've been through things and you're going through things and maybe right now you're in the middle of something and you're wondering where is God in the middle of all of this and you may be struggling with a variety of things but I want you to look back and remind yourself of the faithfulness of God I want you to look at the scripture and remind yourself that God has promised a lot of things to a lot of people and he's come through and then the sufferings that we're experiencing the challenges that we're experiencing and they don't compare because God's gonna give us what we need. God's gonna lead us and guide us. God's gonna take care of us and he's shown that he has done that over and over and over again. 
Because even when all hope is lost, Jesus is the Messiah who proves that God fulfills his promises. Lord, help us to remember this. Let our hearts just be saturated with this truth. Let us be immersed in this truth that you fulfill your promises, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are good even when my definition of good doesn't match. Even when I'm in the middle of doubt, even when I may identify like David and wonder what is going on. Even when I may be sitting in the shower wondering when are things going to turn around. Lord, I can know that you're still worthy to be trusted. I can still bring myself back to that place of reminding and recounting your faithfulness. Help us to do that. Lord, if someone's struggling here today, I pray that you, your word and your spirit would inspire, encourage. If someone's struggling today, if someone needs to be stirred to remind themselves or maybe even to remind another person of your goodness, may we be stirred with that truth today and may that truth set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.